The emotion itself yeah. is 90 seconds. The thing that makes it last for hours and days and years are the stories that we tell ourselves. Your dreams and the things that you put on your vision board have a very important purpose. They pull you through your fears. They inspire you to take action, but they are not necessarily meant to be achieved. <laughs> I believe when you pursue your dreams and you keep going and you keep telling yourself that if I work hard, something amazing is gonna happen, you'll achieve something better, something that you don't even know or can even think about right now because it's not even on your radar screen. Those dreams are dots on the map of your life that pull you in a direction you're meant to go, but you might never end up there because you're meant to end up somewhere else. I actually have an incredible quote of yours about dreams. You say, when it comes to your dreams, you have two choices, pursue them or be haunted by them. Mm -hmm. It's true, you can't forget a dream, you can't. Something that you want in your life, once you really want it and you give yourself permission to feel that desire, there's something called the Zygarnik effect. And the Zygarnik effect is this thing that happens in your brain. And I also think it's tied into your heart and your nervous system, but it happens in your brain where when something is important to you and you can feel that wave hit you, your mind takes note and goes, oh, I'm gonna put this on the list in the file of my mind called this is important. And whenever you are near anything that's related to what's important to you, your mind changes. The live network and filter of your brain will change in real time to try to alert you to the fact that you're near something that is important to you. And I'm not making this up. This has been proven in study after study. And I think that's why your dreams haunt you. You can ignore them, you can shove them down, you can tell yourself you don't want it anymore. But if you've ever wanted something deeply, it doesn't leave you. It gets stored in the subconscious part of your mind waiting for you to remember that it's there and to get to work on it. If you've always dreamt of living in an amazing beach house somewhere, you, you will always think about it. And you'll either pursue it or you're gonna be haunted by it. Mm. If you've ever thought about taking your grandmother's recipe and like doing something with that tomato sauce, you'll either pursue it or it's gonna haunt you. And that's because of how you're designed as a human being. So you got two choices. You either do something about it or you're gonna live for the rest of your life with this thing in the back of your mind that slowly eats at you. So here's the thing, Mel. Everything you're saying, I 1000% agree. Like, but how do you, as you know, doing that first step, making that first move is very difficult. In those moments where you have a dream, anxiety can get in the way, fear can get in the way, imposter syndrome can get in the yeah. way. You've pushed yourself through it. But what I love is about your book is you're actually giving very specific tactics and tools on how people can use this in order to for them to get started so they can achieve the dream so they don't get freaking haunted right, by it. Because right. even by saying to someone, hey, you're gonna be haunted by it, as we know, doesn't do enough to then get them to act. So I really wanna talk about the high five habit. And I actually um, 
there are a few things that you wrote in your book that was so powerful of what it actually tells you about yourself. And I'd love to go down those if you're cool with that. Yeah, sure. So actually, if you want to give us a quick little preface on the high five habit in general, and then sure. we can start there. Okay. So let me tell you the story quickly. So I developed the high five habit. I, I, I tend to have this knack for finding myself in breakdowns in my life. I'm, I'm, I consider myself a life tested expert. Mm. All the advice that I am sharing with the world is stuff that I figured out the hard way mm. by screwing up my own life. And the high five habit is no different. Okay. So I find myself, uh, last year at a very low moment. I am standing in my bathroom. It's a moment I know every woman can relate to. They're in my underwear. Uh, I'm looking in the mirror. And of course, I am picking myself apart. I'm like, I hate how I'm getting really jowly right here. And I don't like how I've got these like big lines that are starting. And then I notice, you know, I've got this like indent right here that I don't like. And I don't like these like kind of marks right here that go this way on my neck. I've covered them up with foundation. And then this boob hangs lower than the other boob. And, and I'm just picking myself apart because that's what I've been doing for the past four decades. That's what almost all women and even men do it too. This is what I'm finding based on the research of the book. And then as soon as my mind is negative about my appearance, my mind goes negative about my day. Mm. Oh God, I, I forgot to text Lisa back. I uh, need to finish up that report. Oh my gosh, my first Zoom meetings and I, oh, the dog needs to be walked. And now I'm going down the road negative about the day. The whole vibe is, ugh. And I don't know what came over me, but I just literally had nothing to say to myself. I really felt overwhelmed, just an average low moment. And I found myself, as pathetic as it sounds, raising my hand and high-fiving my own reflection in the mirror, braless in my underwear. It felt good. I put my shoulders back. I felt a little bit like, okay, I got this. And I went on with my day. The next day, there I am again. And my mind is going negative. And I'm like, nope, high five. And that's what the high five habit is. But this is just the beginning. The, the high five habit book is full of a bazillion tools. But I want to unpack this one because there's so much science here. And for women in particular, this is unbelievable in how it changes you and your relationship with yourself. So first, let's start with a high five. When, like, think about when in your life you have either given or received high fives. What does a high five from someone else or a high five that you're giving to somebody else communicate? Um, you're on the same team. You're like yep. in it together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's also like I think about it. You like give it to somebody before a big play. We got this. You give it to somebody when their attitude's going down. Come on, keep going. Pick your attitude up. You give it to somebody in celebration. And so a high five communicates support and empowerment and partnership and trust and celebration. And it's so powerful. And we're so good at giving all of those things to other people like you and everybody, especially women. We cheer for our friends. We create birthday parties. We buy people presents. We do work for our colleagues when they're overwhelmed. We help our parents out with whatever. We're so good at cheering for our favorite musicians and buying people stuff. Mm -hmm. We are horrendous 
at giving that same support and celebration to ourselves. In fact, we not only don't give ourselves support and celebration, we do the opposite. We tear ourselves down and we beat ourselves up and we pick ourselves apart. And every single woman I know is constantly saying, how the fuck do I put myself first? How do I do, how do I love myself? I know I'm supposed to. Well, I'll tell you how you do it. You put yourself first by doing for yourself what you've been doing for everybody else because that's how everybody else became first in your life. You need to start to cheer for, support, and validate yourself, period. I realize now that I'm high-fiving myself that I have spent the first 40 years of my life either criticizing my reflection or ignoring it. How sad is that? It's incredibly heartbreaking and yet ex extremely familiar to me. Yeah. And I think a lot of women. Yeah. And believe it or not, a lot of men. Mm. There's a lot of men that don't want to look themselves in the eye in a mirror and be with themselves because they're so focused on the things that they haven't achieved or the things that they failed at. And so they're ignoring themselves. Mm. They're not being with themselves. Mm. And so first things first, when you take a moment in the morning to just stand in front of the mirror and be with yourself, and then you raise your hand in a gesture that you have always associated with celebration, support, belief, and empowerment with other people, there's a number of things that happen that um, can be proven by research. First things first, uh, this is research out of Harvard. It's recent. Uh, they've shown in studies that simply taking a minute in the morning to get intentional about who you're going to be today and how you're going to show up changes your productivity, it changes your level of confidence, it changes how impactful you are as a leader at work and in life. So this moment in the mirror is not to be diminished. This is a moment for you to be able to take a moment and intentionally align yourself with who you're going to be. Second piece of research is from a field of study called neurobics. It basically means when you marry a physical action with something, a thought that's unexpected, you accelerate the development of new neural pathways. And there's famous studies that have proven that if you brush with like your non-dominant hand while you're thinking something, yeah. it sticks in your mind because you have to focus. Well, the same is true when you raise your hand and high five your own reflection. You see, you've been doing this for your entire lifetime. So there's already subconscious programming here, Lisa. The second that you raise your hand like this, it is so programmed in your mind to associate belief, cheering, empowerment, celebration, you know, with the high five itself, that it's impossible to go, God, I hate my neck. Mm. Boy, is that cellulite ugly. You can't do it because this part of the mind immediately takes over and does all the positive stuff with a high five. It's crazy. Try it tomorrow morning. You will not be able to criticize yourself. Now there's another piece of research around this, which is, you know, when you do a high five, we did one the first one we did, right? right? We didn't quite hit each other <laughs> in the right, like good smack. So what did we do? We did it. Correct. Because a good high five requires you to be present oh. and intentional. Isn't that cool? Yeah. All of that a little me. high five. Mm. And so what I started to notice was that I was in real time shifting 
my relationship to myself. Instead of criticizing the woman I saw in the mirror or ignoring her, I was developing a partnership, a trust, a sense of self-validation, a I have my own back. I see you, Mel Robbins. We're going to have a great day today. We got this. No matter what it is that life is going to throw at us, you got this. And then, of course, I put it on my story after a couple weeks of doing it, and people around the world started to post them pictures of themselves doing it, and then all of their stories started rolling in about the difference that it was making. There was one woman that said that she's been struggling with body dysmorphia for 20 years, cannot look in the mirror, and after five days of doing this, can stare at herself in the eyes with a grin. Five days. Five days. And the reason why is because of the lifetime association that you have with doing this for other people. So when you try this tomorrow, here's what I want um, you to do. Stand in front of your bathroom mirror and take a moment and just be with yourself for a second. And then if there's resistance to raising your hand and high-fiving your own reflection, what is that resistance? And here's some of the sad things that people are saying that I think ring true for all of us. I think most women can relate to this. I think guys tend to have a reaction that's more in the, I must be weak if I need this. Mm. When the fact is, if you've played team sports, you know damn well that there's nothing more motivating and there's no inspirational force that's more empowering than being cheered for by your teammates. Mm. That belief that they have in you transfers to a belief that you have in you. And so we know instinctively how powerful this is, and yet we have been trained to deny it Mm. to ourselves. That somehow if you have to empower yourself, you're weak. Bullshit. If you empower yourself, you're strong. You're smart. And so with women, and you know, with men too, but I've found this to be the case with a lot of women, and this is super sad, that there is this belief that if I've done nothing that's worth celebrating, I don't deserve celebration. Mm. That I don't deserve celebration until I lose the weight and get to that number right. on the sale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't deserve celebration until I get that job, until I'm dating somebody, until I buy that house, until I get through. And that's the opposite of what you actually need. You need celebration and support so that you can do those things that you deserve and you want in your life. And so here you are withholding the very thing that you need, support, celebration, love. You're waiting for somebody else to come waltzing in and give it to you, which they're not going to. And the secret to life is learning how to give yourself the support, the celebration, the validation that you as a human being need. So that's one thing that women feel. The second thing is this idea that if you are somebody that celebrates herself, you're a bitch, right? That there's something wrong with you if you call attention to you. And that may be because your mom, uh, you know, kind of didn't call attention to herself and was uncomfortable being the center of attention. Maybe you got the messaging that you needed to be seen and not heard. Maybe it got reinforced in your family that you're supposed to be the good one or the quiet one or the, you know, nice one or the 
conscientious student or the this or the that, that there was a role for you to play, and that if you stand there and validate yourself, that somehow it means that you're not all those things that other people need from you. It's complete and utter bullshit. And let me tell you why. When you were born, celebration, validation, all of that stuff was hardwired in you, literally. When you were learning to crawl, you saw a mirror, you would crawl up to that mirror. Have you ever seen a baby go to a mirror? They like put their hands on it, <laughs> yeah. looking at it, they love it, it's amazing. <laughs> love their face. That's in your DNA. That's what you are born, you're born to love the sight of yourself. Your life trained you that you're not supposed to do that. And so I'm on a mission to make everybody on the planet understand, because this is both for men and women, it doesn't matter where you are uh, in terms of gender and what, or all genders that you identify with, every human being has three fundamental emotional needs, to be seen, to be heard, and to be celebrated for the unique person that you are. We all love watching these videos go viral of uh, caregivers coaching little kids to be like, I'm brave, I'm awesome, I'm this. And yet as an adult, somehow we think it's stupid to stand mm. in front of a mirror and tell that to yourself. You fucking need to hear it. And you're sad because nobody in your life is telling you. It starts with you. The other thing that goes viral all the time are teachers standing outside of classrooms, right? Giving every kid an individual handshake. Why? Because that handshake alone makes somebody feel seen and acknowledged and supported. And I'm here to tell you, if you want that and you do want that, you need it. It is the most powerful source of motivation on the planet to feel those things. It starts with you. And it can start every single morning with a simple high five in the mirror. Once you get the money, right? And I know that you yeah, would love to talk are. to about Once we get this, once we get the house, once we get, we'll be happy. And I for sure did it. And I kept my head down. And for five years, I was grinding and grinding and building quests. And we were at the top of the game. And that's when my health went terrible. Yeah. And for four years, I've been struggling and I couldn't eat and I couldn't barely get out of bed. And that's when I was like, I'm, I'm like the typical cliche right now that mm. money can't buy happiness. And people don't, I think, really believe it until they've had something like your business fails or my mm -hmm. health fails. And you're like, wow, if I don't have that purpose to hold on to, then what does everything else matter? What does it mean? Yeah. What good is it? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why FIT is actually our first pillar. So I was gonna pillar. say, let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah, FIT is the first pillar and I talk about becoming your best self. And you know, I already talked about my journey with therapy, which I'm still always in some form of therapy or counseling even now. Which is but, amazing, by yeah, the way. Like always maintenance yeah, going on. Yeah. Um, but so I talk about being mentally fit because I do believe a lot of us are praying, hoping, wishing for levels of success that mentally we're not prepared for. Mm -hmm. Like you can think that getting to the top and, but the more visible you become, there's a lot that comes with it and you have to be mentally prepared for that. So we talk about that, but then physical fitness, I truly believe that if we have a vision for our lives, that it's our duty to protect the vessel needed to execute the vision and we've been there i when i was building my first business i'm there sun up to sundown i go back i would leave go back to the office you know i mean grinding making it happen but i looked healthy i looked relatively healthy mm -hmm. but then at one point i found myself in the er for food poisoning and you know the doctor comes in he's like ma'am do you realize you have other issues 
your blood levels are so low. Your hemoglobin levels are so low. Mm. For a woman your age, you should be at a 12 and above. You're at a 4.8. Wow. He's like, you're on fumes. And that means that you've been going like this for years. Mm. Did you even realize? Mm -hmm. And he gave me a couple days to get to a hematologist. I got the IV treatment. And a few weeks later, after it really kicked in, Lisa, when I tell you I was bouncing around, I was like, oh my gosh, is this how healthy people feel? Right. I had no idea, but I was like, here I am saying, well, God enlarged my territory and I can barely breathe around Beverly Hills. Mm. Where are you going? Mm. You want all this stuff. You want to have these long lines at your book signings. You have to be able to stand up and engage with people and talk to people and do what it takes to travel back and forth across the country and do it. But you have to take care of yourself in order to do that. And I think sometimes in the grind to build, we just forget the only vessel we get. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was so amazed and I am so with you absolutely incredible so take me through then the other pillars because yeah, yeah I'd love so the next pillar is people it's about creating relationships that matter and so often when you're trying to build something again you're always looking for who can do what for me mm -hmm. and I've always kind of taken the other approach and saying instead of saying what can I get I'm like what can I give and how can I support other people and I truly believe that there's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you. But how do you show up? Mm -hmm. And most of us are only showing up with the, you know, bright eyes and stuff. If we think the person who can do something for us is watching, but then we treat everyone else like crap. But so to me, relationships are everything, uh, not just per professionally, but also personally. Mm -hmm. My daughter taught me a great lesson years ago. She was about six years old and I had been on a tour. And I came back, I was in and out, but it was a lot in a short period of time. And three times in a row, she called me the nanny's name. She called me the nanny's name. She was so excited. She was telling me a story and she's like, Miss Angela, Miss Angela. How and that broke my heart. Oh my God, that's breaking my heart. It broke my heart. And that was one of the first times that I, cause I worked from home. So I felt like, well, I'm home. And I was confusing being present with being present. Wow. And her calling me that innocently, just a little kid, yes, she was like six yes. years old. I was like, wow, I really need to do a better job of being present. I still need support because I understand that as much as I'm called to be her mother, I am still called to be the money maven. Right. And, I, and I wear both those roles and those hats proudly. So it's not about trading one mm -hmm. for the other, but it is about understanding that when I am working, I'm fully present to mm -hmm. the fact that I'm working. But when I'm also mom, I do my best. Am I, you know, 100% of the time? No, but I do my best to make sure that she knows that, you know, she's loved that we have a good relationship. I schedule things as much as possible around her activities. It might drive me crazy to go cross town and trying to get to all her stuff, but I do my best to make sure that she knows that she's loved and she's supported and that I'm present. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what the people pillar is about because what good is it to have public success and then be a private failure? What good is it for all these young girls? I was just speaking yesterday, a couple thousand young women. What good is it for them to run up to me and hug me and, oh, Miss Washington, you changed my life and all this stuff. And then my daughter be at home and not know. And a lot of people live that way.
and my husband and I have made a commitment, especially as she's going into these middle school years and high school years, that we will be present for her. And so we've shifted a lot to make sure that we can be. Yeah. And that people pillar, that's what that represents for us. Wow. Yeah. That was strong. Okay, take me through the space then, how, why that's important. Oh my gosh, the space pillar. I think the space pillar is something people just do not even consider. So I really talk a lot about clutter, and we say that clutter is the physical manifestation of chaos in your mind. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but if my desk is completely a mess, I can't get things done. Yeah. I, I would rather go sit at another table or go to the kitchen counter and go somewhere else. But I can't sit in a space that has too much clutter going on and actually focus and think because I'm a content creator. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that takes a lot of creativity and going within. And if you are so distracted by all the little pieces of junk you have everywhere, you don't realize how you block your own creative energy and your ability to move forward. So I really am big on like organization and just tidying up and beautification and putting yourself in a space that makes you feel good so that you show up as your best. If you are wasting time moving your laundry aside on your bed, <laughs> going, I'm just going to push it to the side and sleep in this corner. Yeah. Like that is a waste of your mental space. That is taking up mental real estate that you could use for something much more productive. My husband and I, we were moving recently. We're preparing for another move now. Yeah, and so for in the interim, we downsized into a smaller space. And so we were going from this huge house and I was finding things in every nook and cranny of that house. Now, the house always seemed immaculate mm. and always tidy, always in order. But what really hit me is like how many things were hiding. And just because they were nicely organized, I didn't realize that it was still stuff. Hmm. that I had just been carrying from season to season that no, was no longer serving me. Hmm. So for me, back to some of those times where I didn't even feel that great about myself. So why do I keep carrying that into every home and every... I'm like, no, even the hidden stuff, even when it's stacked nice and pretty, there might be something deeper there that you need to let go of. There's something actually that you said that I really want to talk about is excuses on mm. how many people will give excuses of why they can't save money or adjust their behavior. Mm. Um, and then also I then want to talk about why you say like just saving money for a rainy day is like the worst thing to do. So talk to me. In fact, let's hit excuses first because you must hit uh. every excuse under the sun when it comes to finances. Oh, yeah, I hear it all. Well, of course, I don't I don't make enough is one and I don't make enough to say, but what I really push back with is, it's not the amount, it's the muscle that you're building. Ooh, go on. It's not the amount because what you're building is the muscle to do these things. So mm -hmm. if you put in your head, I am a saver, and you're like, even if I get $100 a week, I'm going to save $2. It's the point that as you make more money, you are in the habit of doing it. Mm -hmm. What people believe is, well, when I make more, then I'll do it. That's not true <laughs> because you are who you are with $100 or with $100,000. You are the same person. So if you are not able to make that connection where you're starting, once you get to wherever you think you're going, you're not all of a sudden going to go, I'm going to be a saver mm. now. And if you are, you're going to undersave because you won't have any frame of reference for like really building up. So you'll go, ooh, 
10,000 is a lot, I'll do 2,000, right? Like you'll start to make justifications. Mm -hmm. And I like to say that we rationalize a lot when it comes to our finances. And to me, that means ration out lies. We like to lie to ourselves. (laughs) Oh, I love that. We lie to ourselves. We lie to our friends and family. We, you know, especially if you have girlfriends who are like, you're saying things like, well, girl, you deserve that because that's a favor. Okay, let's talk about that. That's a favorite. When you have girlfriends and friends and they're like, well, you deserve to go do this. It's like, do you deserve that? Or are you thinking about who you want to be in the future and what do you want in the future? Do you deserve this little trinket that's not even going to fulfill you? You're not even going to really enjoy it past this moment. Or do you deserve that life of freedom that awaits you? Should you get some discipline? Mm. You know, I don't believe in deprivation. I'm not one of those personal finance people who are like, don't get your hair done. Don't get your nails done. Don't get your makeup. Don't do that. I'm not that person, but mm. I do believe in discipline. And I think a lot of the excuses that we make are really about us not wanting to just be disciplined mm-hmm. and just face it head on. Uh, and we rationalize like way too much. And we associate very negative words. So to your point about the emergency fund, yeah. I really believe that words are powerful. I know you believe that too, yeah, right? 100%. And I believe that what you verbalize, you magnify in your own life. And the more you talk about something, the bigger it becomes to you. Right. The more real it becomes mm-hmm. to you, right? And so if you're going around going, oh my gosh, I have to save for a rainy day. And then you start saying, well, when it rains, it pours. Like you see how it keeps, yeah. like, it keeps continuing on. I always said, no, I want to save for a sunny day. I don't want an emergency fund. I don't, I don't I want an emergency fund. Now, do emergencies happen? Yes. Accidents don't make appointments. Things come up. I totally get that. What I'm saving for are opportunities. I'm saving for the opportunity to invest in that next business or, you know, set up my set or do, you know, invest in my book or invest in this. I always, even as we were rebuilding, I would always tell my husband, we need to focus on what we want. We can't focus on what we don't want. I don't want to think about a leaky roof. I don't want to think about a flat tire. I don't want to think about any of these negative things that people, finance people try to shove down your throat and say, you better prepare for this. Now, here's the reality. If it happens, I've already been saving Mm -hmm. because I've been saving for something I wanted. So now if something does happen, I don't have to make something that should have just been an inconvenience, a crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. I have the money to go do it. Did I want to spend it on that? No, but I would rather have it and not need it. Right. Then they need it and not have it. And so I always have talked about just focus on the good stuff and then you can handle the other stuff as it comes up. But I'm not going to focus on that. Yeah. And I love how you have said, um, you know, putting money towards like being healthy now versus saving your money for when you get sick. Like that hit me hard when I heard you say that. Yeah. Yeah. How many people do that? We don't. <laughs> right. We don't, which is, again, why I always bring up the fifth pillar and being more concerned about how you're taking care of your body now, because I am not working to build this legacy. Right. And get to the end of my life and spend all of my money on prescriptions I cannot pronounce. Mm-hmm. I do not want to spend all of my money on things that I can't pronounce. Mm-hmm. The doctors will barely explain it to you. They're like, take this seven like. No, I don't want to spend my life on that. I would rather sacrifice now and get up early and go work out. 
And, you know, I would rather make the best choices I can about what I put in my body now. Mm -hmm. I would rather figure out how to get my butt to sleep, even when my mind is racing some nights. And I'm like, I just want to work. I want to work. But I still am forcing myself. Now, there are seasons where you're launching something or there's something big going on. And I have been on a 36 hour marathon. What I've learned is that can't be a lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. there are those seasons. I've just chosen not to make it a lifestyle because I don't want to wake up 30 years from now and I can't do things that we could we should still technically be able to do in our 60s and when we're 100 yeah yeah right you said something earlier about like doing something now small so that when you get to like as you Mm -hmm. get wealthier or you get more successful working towards your goal whatever that may be the habit already exists talk to me about habits and how hard it is for people to let go of bad habits Mm -hmm. and what advice you give people to do that Oh, gosh, you know, I was reading a great book with my pod club. I read books with my people who listen to the podcast and we read Atomic Habits by James Clear. He articulates so many principles so well, but one in particular was understanding that when you're building a habit, it's not about it's not necessarily about the thing that you're doing as much as it is who you're becoming Mm -hmm. in the process. So he talks about, for example, someone who says, I don't smoke versus someone says, I'm not smoking right now. Both these people are trying to quit smoking. That is their goal. And they're trying to break the habit of smoking. But one person says, I'm not smoking right now. And one says, I don't smoke. I'm not a smoker. Do you see how that immediately shifts? Like, okay, so now you have an entirely different perspective on how you should show up or who you should be in that moment. And I think that that's the thing. Sometimes we set goals or, you know, and then we have these habits that we want to form in order to reach the goals. But we're so focused on that, that we forget who we need to become in the journey. Mm. So if you shift who you're becoming in that journey, then it's not so hard because every day you're remind you're just reminding yourself, I already am that person. The days just need to catch up. <laughs> right. The days just need to catch up to who I already am because I'm claiming it and I'm affirming it every day. And so that's how I have looked at goals, because I used to say I'm not a runner. Did you know that no. I used to I had this whole story going on in my head my whole life. I'm not a runner. Like my friends would invite me to things. I'm like, girl, I don't run. Mm-mm, mm. I don't run. And one day I woke up and I heard myself say it to someone in a conversation and it just irked me. Hmm. And I was I remember I was driving and I was thinking to myself, your legs work just fine. You don't have bad knees. There's nothing really wrong with you. And then I'm like, who told you you don't run? Where the heck did you make that up? And I said, I'm a runner. Girl, the next day I started running. And I built my way up. Now, that first mile was a mess. Honey. It took me <laughs> 20 something minutes to do a mile. But now I can do three and a half miles or so in like 20 minutes. And I shifted who I was saying I was or what I was saying I was capable of. And so I think with any habit you want to form or break, mm-hmm. it's about shifting First of all, what you say about yourself, because most of it is a story that you made up anyway. So all you have to do is change the story and not that it's easy, but it's definitely doable. 
If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is a negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Yeah, I love that. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are everything and Mm -hmm. language matters. Like you said earlier, right? The words we choose to use. Um, And I used to do that with things like, I can't play the piano. And Mm. now I stop myself and I say, I choose not to play the piano because I believe wholeheartedly and I force myself to do it. Every Mm -hmm. time I go to say, I catch myself and reframe it. And it's taught me to say, Lisa, if you wanted to play the piano, you You could. could. If you wanted to be one of the best in the world and you're willing to put in the work, I could. So now mm-hmm. I, it's not that I can't, I choose not to. Um, let's talk about comparison, actually. I think when we're in um, relationships, marriage, yeah. even just friendships, we do compare ourselves. Yeah. So let's talk about comparing ourselves with being able to save money or how we spend money. Because oh. I'm sure just in my own life, my husband and I have really focused on talking about money very openly, making sure that we have that communication. But I am... 
I'm sure there are many people that do butt heads because they're comparing themselves. Oh, yeah. They're trying to make each other each other. Right. So talk yeah. to me about that. How I do you work through that? I've worked with so many couples over the years. I used to do this thing called the Couples and Money Challenge, literally just walking them through these 10 steps to have better communication about money. And one of them was just, one, first of all, getting to know yourself. So how you grew up with money. So getting to the root of what are those verbal influences? What are things that you heard about money? What are your beliefs about money? What are some of the triggers for you and connections to different things? Like if you grew up hearing that money was the root of all evil, ah. you could be the most talented person in the world, but you will find a way to just either give money away, sometimes to your own mm. detriment or to lose it. People will find ways to self-sabotage and not even realize that deep down it's because they believe money is evil and that rich people are mean, mm. scary folks who take advantage of the poor and all that. And so they have this whole story that may have been passed on from generations. And then you have, you know, the, the spouse or the mate or whatever who has a completely different mindset mm -hmm. about it. And they see it as, you know, freedom and choice and opportunity, you know. So I grew up not having much in South Central Los Angeles. I never wanted for anything, uh, but, you know, it just wasn't like this luxury that you threw around mm -hmm. either. And so what was kind of my money love language was more. I love that money love language. Yeah, my money love language was like was safety and stability. Oh and wanting to see all the money stacked in the bank because now I know that I'm okay, you know. My husband's money love language was very much about gift giving. Oh. So when we first got together, you know, he can't give you just like a pair of shoes in one color. If he thinks you're gonna like it, he'll buy every color they have, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, it seems really, it is really it sweet. Seem, seem but sweet. when I was like, when we were first getting started at this, I would go, why did you buy three? Like that was, I have one set of feet. Like I can't put on three <laughs> pair of shoes. Like I would just say things like, what are you doing? Why would you need to do that? And so it, we would butt heads, right. right? Because all he was trying to do was show love and affection. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted the lights to stay on. I wanted gas in my car regularly. Like I was never, I wasn't into shopping and stuff. So I had to learn to accept though that in his family, how he grew up, that's how he learned to show love. And so first understanding ourselves and then taking the time to go and how did you grow up? Mm -hmm. And once I made the connection and made it not a right or wrong, it was like, this is just, this is how he grew up. This is all he knows. For him looking at me, this is all she knows. This is what she heard so that we could finally go, now what's our right. money love language? So now how do we create our plan? Mm. And so now we have, you know, we have our own system and we vibe now, right? We can communicate it without attacking because it's not, it's not about you're wrong or I'm wrong. Neither one of us are wrong, we're just different. I love that. So did you put then rules, I guess, in place of how then you were going to handle your finances once you got married? Yeah, we have shared goals. So we have a shared vision board, you know, type of thing for the things that we wanna achieve as a family. Um, and then, and we even involve my daughter a lot in like oh. our decision making or at least letting her know be aware of why we make the choices mm. that we make. You know, when we downsized out of that big house, I did a whole episode on this. We moved into this 2000 square foot apartment down the street from our old house and people were going, oh my God, did they lose all their money again? Why? Oh, uh, what happened? Well, what's going on? But we told our daughter up front, daddy's starting this business. Mm. 
We're investing in these two apartment buildings. They're 20 units plus. You know, we're going to buy a new home in the city that we're moving to. So we told her in 12 months, Mm -hmm. here are the things that we're doing. And so daddy and I thought downsize, stack the cash, invested in these things. And so we were like, okay, we don't care about what anybody else thinks. Here's Mm -hmm. what our plan is. Here's what we know we can do. Here are some of the other businesses we're investing in with friends and stuff. And sometimes that's the season that you're in and just being okay with getting on the same page about that. And so once we kind of identify goals, then we look at what are the potential sacrifices, if any, we'll have to make so that we can stay on top of it. And also being aware of what really matters to each of us because we have shared goals, but then we're still individuals. So mm-hmm. he has this thing, stuff that he wants to do. I had things for my business I wanted to do. And we just talked about it up front. The biggest thing is talking about it and not beating each other up because you're different. I love that. And the point that you made that's so f- strong that I really want to hammer home yeah. is no one's right and no one's wrong. No one. That was so strong. No one. It just is. Yeah. And if we just treated each other like it just is, mm-hmm. Right. Like how much, right? Like how much better could the communication be? People say that folks divorce because of money. No, they divorce because of the communication uh-huh. about money or lack thereof. Yeah. And we make it such a taboo topic mm-hmm. and we have so many emotions attached to our finances because of how we may have grown up that we bring all of that to the table. And we have to understand that this person you know, they were living a completely different life 20, 30, 40 years before you came in the picture. This is not a personal attack on you. Right, right. <laughs> this is just what they were doing. And so now that you're here, it's just time to talk about what you're going to do together. The first thing is we've known each other for a while now. And I knew your story, but I didn't know the, ex- the extreme of your story. You didn't portray it to be as severe as I understood it to be after going down your path of researching you. Mm. Going through your story, the one thing that struck me so hard is how do you not become the victim? Mm. Because girl, I think like, oh yes, I got bullied when I was younger. I got, you know, and then I hear your story and I'm like, if there was anybody on this planet that could say, yeah, I'm a victim and why me and my life is shit, it was Mm. what you went through. Mm. How do you not stay there how do you what are the Mm -hmm. tools in fact that you've um taught yourself to not stay the victim yeah i firmly believe that being a victim is a choice i know when i say this it might trigger people and they might be like i didn't choose to have these things happen to me i didn't choose you know the abuse i didn't choose these circumstances and situations and and i hear that and i fully respect that and and, and I acknowledge that. What I chose, Lisa, was to not stay in this victimhood mode. I chose to use that and to recognize that these things are happening for me. If they weren't, they wouldn't be happening. And then find the opportunities in each of those things so I didn't have to stay a victim, Mm. right? Um, So you can stay in that place or you can actively choose to allow those things, that pain, 
to become your greatest superpower, as you like to say. And you can leverage that with the understanding of what, what is this, why is this coming into my life? What is this here to teach me? How can I learn from this? How can I leverage this into something bigger, right? And then you set off on that path to find that. Mm. Um, for me, it was also about survival. And when I did hit rock bottom and I was so angry and it was my last moments, I thought, here, and I started saying, why me? And I was angry at you know the people who I went to for help who couldn't help me. I was angry at myself for getting to that place. I was angry at God, like what kind of God allows this to happen to people? Once I got there, I realized that that was me being a victim, mm-hmm. right? And when I heard that voice that night that said, this hasn't happened to you, it happened for you. I said, then what's it all for? What is it all for? We're all here for a reason, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be here. Um, And we're meant to learn things in this earth school, like take the curriculum, you're here, you might wanna try to take the curriculum, right? And that's what I chose to do. And everyone has that choice. Now I'm not gonna sit here and just be flippant and be like, oh, just choose something different because it's not that easy. And there are days when I just wanna wallow in being a victim, but that takes away my power. And I still, from time to time, will kick and scream. And that's okay, it's human, Mm. we can all feel that. But at the end of the day, you have to make the choice or not to transform that pain into power and leverage that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So why do you think we try to um, eliminate pain or avoid pain when Mm. you're saying it can be so powerful, which I completely agree, but most people run away from it. Yeah, because it's painful. No one wants to just wallow in transformation. You know, no one wants to just sit and feel. There's a reason we numb. There's a reason we're on our phones and social media and we drink and we do drugs and we have sex with random people. Like there's a reason because it's painful because a lot of these um, emotions are tied to severe traumas and Mm. triggers in our lives, right? But the pain is the way through and, and underneath these feelings and these emotions that we have, there are lessons and there are learnings and there are opportunities. And um, and it's about taking that away. It's about uncovering and sifting through and sitting still long enough to feel. Mm. But here's the other thing I want to say about emotions and why don't we feel? Because sometimes we don't know how to feel. Now, here's what I mean by that. An emotion lasts for 90 seconds, Mm. just 90 seconds. Now you might be like, girl, I have been on the floor for hours, wallowing, kicking, screaming, crying, and I have two. I've had Celine Dion on (laughs) loop for hours. (laughs) That's your go-to. No, but but, but the emotion itself is 90 seconds. The thing that makes it last for hours and days and years are the stories that we tell ourselves that we continue to tell ourselves. If we were to truly just feel an emotion and sit with that, Mm. it'll pass in 90 seconds, but we don't do that, Mm. right? We start thinking and feeding into it and start replaying the scene over and over in our minds. We start thinking, I should have done this. I should have said this. What if I would have done this years ago, right? And that keeps it alive and it keeps it going. When if we can let that go, it will pass and the, the, the greater knowledge 
image of that pain will come through. And that's when we can take a step back and logically look at it and say, okay, now what do I do with this? Yeah, I love that so much because it really is, stories are so powerful, but so we're powerful. not aware of the stories we tell ourselves. That's right, that's um, right. And so that's why I love it. Explain to me your three E's, which are freaking amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the reasons we tell ourselves stories is to back up the beliefs that we already have about ourselves. So humans do this really crazy thing called looping, right? And we have something called a negativity bias, which is we wanna believe just the worst, the worst possible situation, outcome, all of those things. It's a survival mechanism, yeah. right? We need to be aware that there might be a tiger in that cave if we go in, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it's not like that anymore. For most yeah. of us, yeah. we don't hang out around caves sure. where tigers awesome. hide in. But we don't know that, right? We haven't evolved to that point. So it's, it's okay, it's human nature, we do it. And here's the key, you just gotta be aware of it. So that's, that's the first thing, is understanding that we have these beliefs, we want to always believe the worst, and we loop, which means if we have an opportunity to believe the best or the worst about something, we'll choose the worst every time. So here's how beliefs are formed. It's made up of three E's. There's an event that happens, there are the emotions that are felt, and then there's the explanation that you give it, okay? So let me give you an example. An example I like to use because most of us experience trauma that sets the course for the rest of our lives before the age of eight. We wow, establish these beliefs, eight. right? Before the oh, age of eight, scary. most of these things scary. are already rooted in the core essence of who we think that we are, mm. who we've chosen to be, right? So let's say, uh, Lisa, you bring home your report card and okay. you sit down and uh, it's not looking so good. So your parents sit down and they say, Lisa, this is unacceptable. Um, the grades have to come up. If you want to do something with your life, make money, contribute to the world, this is not okay. We won't allow this to happen. So here's what we're going to do, and maybe they set some boundaries for you. And, uh, and that's it. Grades have got to come up. Unacceptable. That's the event. It's just an event that happened. Right. But how do you feel? What are those emotions? Uh, probably doesn't feel so good. Parents are disappointed in you. Right. You always want to like make failed. them You feel like you failed, mm -hmm. right? So that's your emotion. The explanation you give it, I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. So for the rest of your life, that's a belief, right? The event that happened, the emotions you felt, the explanation that you gave it, I'm a failure. So now that you've formed that belief, you'll spend the rest of your life looking for evidence to prove that that's true right? You start a new business, something goes sideways, I'm a failure. You get stood up for that hot date that you had on Friday night, it's me, I'm a failure, right? It was something I said or something I did, I knew I shouldn't have sent that last text message, I'm a failure. Reinforcing right? that belief in myself. Looping, yeah, looping, because we have this negativity bias, mm -hmm. right? So that's how beliefs get formed, and that's what we turn to every time we, every time something in our life happens and we feel these heavy emotions, this pain, we go back to those beliefs. We start reliving them over and over. We start feeding into them again. And that's why we're on the floor wallowing in pain three and a half days later. Yeah. But, but here's the good news, okay? So now that you know this, remember awareness is the first step to mm -hmm. change, the first step to transformation. Now everything in your life where you have these beliefs that, that, that are rooted, you can go back and revisit that event. And you can say, okay, so 
I remember feeling like I was a failure when my parents set me down over the report card. That's the event. What other explanation could you give it? As opposed to being like, well, I'm a failure. What else could have been happening? Mm. Well, maybe Lisa, your parents just wanted something better for you than what they had. Maybe it was the only way they knew to communicate and tell you the importance of showing up in the world and doing your best because they, they love you and they want you to have a great future. Well, if that's the explanation, what's the emotion? You see, you work backwards. You mm -hmm. with me? So now what do you feel? Probably happy, probably relieved, loved. probably loved. Someone cares about you enough to push you. And the event was just your parents loving you. It's just something that happened, yeah. right? You don't have to feel those deep-seated, painful emotions when you give it a different explanation. Yeah. Yeah, when I heard that, it like hit me like a ton of bricks because it really is about the unwiring, right? Yeah, like, totally. don't get so traumatized over where you are right now and who you are. Like, know it's possible that you can unwire, that you can right. unlearn it. That's right. But people, this goes back to the belief, they almost don't believe that they can do it. What is that first step for people to start that? Like, yeah. how do you break them open, in essence? I don't, I don't know that it's that they believe they can't do it. Hmm. I don't know that that's what's going on. I think what's going on is they don't feel they're worth doing it. So many of us feel worthless and hopeless and like we don't deserve good things in our lives. We feel unworthy, mostly because of those beliefs that mm -hmm. were developed when we're young. So why would I work to overcome beliefs? Yeah. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Right. I don't deserve that. Why would I do the work? So how do you get people to see that they're worth it? Let me tell you a quick story. When I was going through my own transformation, I'd hit rock bottom. I decided to come out of it. I started with nutrition, quickly realized it was tied to my thoughts and my trauma um, and then my connection, my spiritual connection to something bigger. How do I get back on the right track? How do I find my value? I, I went to this coach and I sat down with her and I told her, I mean, I came out, right? It was just like, here it is. <laughs> and I was crying and sobbing, the ugly cry. Mm -hmm. And at the end she said, it's okay. I know exactly what you need. And I thought, hallelujah, praise Jesus, girl of a ride, tell me everything. And she said, you just have to love yourself. <laughs> It took every bit of self-control that I have ever even thought about having not to just launch myself on this lady. To like thump her. Thump her! Because <laughs> that had never occurred to me that if I just love myself, but, life would be so much better. And but, even to this day, I hear people talking about, well, you got to love yourself. Yeah, you just got to love yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Like we can just turn a switch and make it happen. So well, how, do you, how do you love yourself? Well, you could start by not hating yourself, right? That's a good place to start. But, but I don't, you, you can't just go to self-love. Mm. Here's what I've been really interested in lately. I've been really peeking around behind the self-love and this, this idea of ourselves that we've created. Yeah. And what if we didn't have to love ourselves? What if we didn't have that kind of pressure? Because here's what happens when people say, you just gotta love yourself, just have self-love. It's the most important Thing, it will change everything. Well, now you just set me up for another failure in my life that I don't need. Ah, because if you don't love yourself, you failed. 
how can you love yourself? Yeah. You ever tried to love yourself when you really just don't? You ever been in that place That's... where instead of loving, you loathe yourself. Every second you show up in the world is just a disaster. To tell someone like that to just love themselves, oh. you're just, you're not helping them. I'm like to peek behind this self that we're supposed to love. Mm -hmm. And I just like to get to know her. And I wonder if through that process, I can just let her be who she needs to be and not who I want her to be. Oh. Okay. What if, what if I could just see her and accept her? What if I just said, wow, she's been through some stuff and she deals with it in this and this and this way. Cool. You cannot love yourself if you have no idea who you are. And most of us don't. We're trying to love an idea of who we wish we were, mm -hmm. not who we are currently. And that's why we fail so much when it comes to this idea of just loving yourself. Yeah. Right? When it comes to self-love, that's why we fail. Most of us have no idea who we are. How can you love someone when you don't know anything about them? We have been so busy trying to become who they say we should be mm. that we have no idea who we are. So instead of just loving this idealized version of yourself that you haven't even made happen yet, what if you just kind of accepted yourself the way you were? Mm. What if you said, sometimes I just, I feel broken. I kind of am broken, but that's okay because that's how the light gets in. Mm. And that's what I was going to ask because a lot of people, and this is a fascinating conversation that mm. I love having because a lot of people say love the self, the, you know, love yourself the way you are. Mm -hmm. And usually they're people that um, pride themselves on growth. Yes. And that's where it comes yes. to like, how do you love yourself just the way you are? And that's at the right. same time saying you're not good enough yet mm -hmm. to get to where you want to go. How do mm -hmm. you do both? So Krishnamurti, I love this quote. He said, when you begin to understand what you are mm -hmm. without trying to change it, then what you are undergoes a transformation. Hmm. When you begin to understand what you are, you're not trying to change it. What you are undergoes a transformation. So I said earlier, most of us have no idea who we are. Mm -hmm. And that's true. We see people and lifestyles and, and we... That's an ideal of what we want to achieve. But do we really and why? Who are you really? What do you enjoy? Um, I use this example. I was coaching this woman uh, in her 50s one time. And I said, look, tomorrow we're going to do what you want to do. You're going to just live your best life. <laughs> whatever makes you happy, whatever lights you up. And I said, what would that be? So if money weren't an object, what would you do? What is it that just lights you up, makes your shake your tail feathers happy? And she sat and she dropped her head and she started sobbing. And she looked up at me with just tears. Yeah. Just this woman had broken open. And she said, I have no idea. She had been so busy being a mother, being a wife. She had no idea. She had lost track of who she was. Ask someone, what are your hobbies? What makes you happy other than your children right. and your husband? What is it? What feeds you? Most people have no idea. But if you could figure that out, then maybe you could start to understand why you are the way you are. Maybe then you could start to accept who you are, pain, bruises, broken and all, and let that just be okay. Because now you're understanding what you are, right? When you can do that and you get to that, core visceral knowledge, then you can say, 
but how do I want to be better? When you get that person to accept themselves, to understand what they are and why, and then they can see the potential in their life, those are the game changers. Those are the people that set the world on fire with their talents, with their passions. They crush it. Love yourself and do great things and... Do you Whoa. think then that phrase, love yourself, is kind of setting people up for disaster? I think it can. I think it totally can. I think there's a lot of information in the world, especially on social media, that's meant to do a lot of good mm -hmm. that does way more harm than good. Mm -hmm. We don't always allow people to be who they need to be. Instead, we try to bring them along on this journey that they're not even trying to be on, but they think they should be on. Mm -hmm. And then we set them up for failure because we don't explain the hows and the whys. I was listening to a podcast and the advice was just get over it <laughs> and just do it. Just show up and do the work. Just get over it. I've been through so much in my life. I got over it. You need to get over it. I've never been so mad at <laughs> a podcast in all my life. What do you mean? So look, I know that you've got over it, okay? I know that you've done the work. But when you show up in all your enlightened goodness mm -hmm. and you stand on your pedestal and you preach to the masses that they just need to get over it and be like you and be awesome the way you are, you're not helping anyone. As a matter of fact, you're doing a lot of harm. You're hurting a lot of people. How dare you? How dare you? Knowing what it takes to get to the point that you're at, how dare you do that? Now, I don't know about this person. I don't know them personally. Maybe they had no ill harm. Doesn't matter, mm. right? And I don't think that people show up to be malicious. Okay. I don't. I do, however, feel that you have a responsibility for what you're putting out into the world. So if you create a diet, for example, and you didn't research that well and that ends up hurting some people, that's on you. If you give some people who are struggling with trauma and these triggers of unworthiness in their life, you give them advice that says just get over it because I did and you should too, mm -hmm. you're not helping them, right? We need to start a bigger conversation. We need to understand that people need tools. They need practical information. They need to be able to be who they are and know that that's perfect. They don't need to be here where you are right now. They'll get there yeah. or they won't, but that's okay. No one talks about acceptance, right? And acknowledging who we are so that we can then start to embrace that and change it. So take me back to you're on the floor, you've got your Dr. Pepper in one hand and you've yep. got the pills in the other. And mm -hmm. you've just, you, at this point, I, I couldn't even possibly imagine what you were feeling. Mm -hmm. um, just reading, obviously, what you've been through. Mm -hmm. You're in that moment. It's so easy to take the pills, right? Yeah. It's like looking at the two paths that lie ahead of you in that moment. It's, it's fucking easy. Take the pills, done. What do you think are the things that you can say to that person that encourages them that the hard way is actually the best way? Mm. I think the biggest message is just you're worth it. You're worth it. You are worth it. How do you actually believe that? So I know you yeah. said that earlier. Yeah. Um, 
but look, I've been in moments, I've mm -hmm. never been that extreme, but yeah. where like I'm just crying and it just won't stop and I just mm -hmm. feel like there's no end. Yeah. And I say to myself, in that moment, you're worth it, but I don't mm -hmm. believe it. Yeah. So what is that transformation totally. there? Yeah, and you may not, you know, and the person on the floor may not believe it. I didn't. And again, I heard, well, you're meant for greatness. Now look, greatness, I'm meant for greatness. I had grown up with the people closest to me telling me I was hopeless, worthless, would never amount to anything. And you're telling me I'm meant for greatness. But I am, and so are you, and so is everyone listening. I don't have anything inside of me that you don't have or that everyone doesn't have. But we don't feel worthy of this power. We don't feel worthy of our own power mm -hmm. to understand who we are and transform and pick ourselves up off the floor and say, I am worthy. Mm -hmm. I am going to do something. So we project that onto other people. We project it on the teachers, the gurus, the trainers, the spiritual leaders, right? Mm -hmm. And we give them that power. They don't mm -hmm. have anything that you don't have. We just don't feel worthy of accepting it, right? But if you weren't worthy, you wouldn't be here. And this is happening for you. Mm -hmm. It's happening for you. What if we could just, Lisa, take a step back sometimes and instead of wallowing in those feelings like we all love to do, myself included, but what if we just said it's okay? You know, I've been doing this thing lately and I, I call it notice a name, right? So what you do is you just notice how you're feeling in the moment. And this will also, by the way, stop you from telling the stories mm -hmm. and feeding into those old beliefs, okay? So you just stop and you feel, what am I feeling in this moment? Where am I feeling it? Because here's the thing, if you can get out of your head and into your body, that'll stop the stories. Feel that, you know? I wonder why, I wonder why. But just noticing and naming instead mm. of trying to push it away and numb out is huge, right? Again, back to those tips and practical tools that you can use. Just let it be, it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. We've been told that it's not, that we need to be strong women, right? That we need to show up in the world, that we need to just make shit happen, all of these things, which is fine, great, do that. And sometimes just show up for you. I'm gonna start with deal with the world the way that it is, not the way that you wish it were. Now, on a long timeline, things change and all of that. And I think that over time, I actually don't know. So let me give you my stance and then I'll, I'll sort of walk you through. Uh, you, it, whoa, it's gonna be interesting for you to hear me say this out loud because I've never said it like this. I married a housewife and I ended up with an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I love that you don't bat an eyelash. I mean, it's so, yeah. But you didn't think of yourself as a housewife at that point. And I didn't even think to think of you as even though I actually wanted you to be more ambitious in the beginning and I found that really cool, I didn't know what that would become and that's probably good because that transition ended up being very hard. So um, there is a reality to be faced. When they were casting Michael J. Fox for, there's a whole long story, but they ended up casting the woman first and then for, for Back to the Future. Yeah. And then uh, they had originally cast Eric Stoltz and then they ended up replacing him with Michael J. Fox. When they brought Michael J. Fox in, they ended up letting the woman go and recast her because they went around to everybody on set and to the women on set and said, do you think it's a problem 
that the girl is taller than the guy. And the women said, there's no universe in which a junior or senior in high school would date a guy that's shorter than her. Now, the financial success is like the new height. And there are some people, they just can't do it. A guy, some guys will not be okay. Whether they should be or not, to me is irrelevant. Deal with the world the way that it is, not the way you wish it were. There are some guys that are gonna have a problem with that. So your dating pool shrinks to the guys that either are more successful than you. So the more successful they become, it's like becoming taller. And so now the if you're going after, you know, if a guy is going after women that need them to be taller, as they get shorter, their pool dates, doesn't make them a worse person, but it does mean that the dating pool gets smaller mm -hmm. for people that are okay. As women's income goes up and they become more successful, their dating pool shrinks of the number of guys that are gonna be okay with that partly because of historical dynamics, uh, partly because of cultural influence, and partly, I'm gonna guess, because of just drivers that guys have from an evolutionary standpoint to um, want to lead is probably the right word. Thems are just, I'm just calling the facts. I'm not saying whether they should be or shouldn't be, just is. Yeah, and that's a, I love that you started there because that's so important, right? That this is, whether you like it or not, this is the situation. And then it goes, what are you willing to accept? And the thing that we say in business and in partnership, there's a cost of doing business with anyone. And do, does that cost actually um, outweigh what you're getting? So when it comes to a partner, there's going to be something about your partner you don't like. There's going to be something that doesn't jive with you. There's going to be something where you butt heads. And then what is that thing that you're willing to accept? Um, and so in that situation, if you find someone and they are feeling, um, it comes from massive insecurity, if I'm going to say, like, I just really... It's interesting. Oh, it isn't just that. It, it, it's not? It's not just that. You don't think that somebody who um, finds it intimidating to be with a woman that is making more money than them, that is in a high position than them, that is 100% comes from an it's insecurity. Not. God, this is going to be interesting. We're going to need a long time for this. I want to be very clear. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. And I hope everyone will give me the grace to think out loud and to explore this subject. I'm not telling people how to live their lives. But I will say this. I love that I am bigger and stronger than you. Mm -hmm. And that gives me something. Right. It isn't insecurity because there are women that are stronger than me and there are a lot of guys stronger than me. But you're not married to them. Correct. But what I'm saying is it isn't insecurity that makes me have a type preference. It is just that I have a type preference. When I was asked, when I was eight, let me finish the thought. When I was 18 years old, I was asked what my dream girl was like. Mm -hmm. You know this story already, but I said they will be short. They will be, uh, they'll have an accent. They'll speak a foreign language, but they'll understand my humor perfectly. Now, I could not, it didn't even cross my mind that there were people that spoke English and had an accent because I was so into the idea that they would speak a foreign language, which you do. So there, there are just things. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I said, and uh, she will either sing or draw. Yeah, but that's... Hold on, you got to let me like encapsulate this whole idea. So that's a type. Mm -hmm. 
there are things in that that I'm getting some feedback. It isn't just that, oh, I have picked the things that make me feel secure about myself. I have picked things that for whatever reason I'm into. Maybe it's evolution. Maybe it's the way that I was brought up growing up in Tacoma, Washington. Not only am I in America, which is a young country, I'm on the like West Coast and the like Northwest Coast. It's like one of the youngest parts in the nation. So maybe that's why I wanted somebody that was had an accent because it was worldly. I don't know. I'm just saying those aren't, I didn't sculpt that picture in my mind out of insecurity. They're just things that I'm into. And so now, while I, once you say the word, they're intimidated, then you're getting into insecurity. The idea I'm trying to put out is she's using the word intimidated as a blanket for something that isn't just that. So if the thing that I want to bring to the table is, hey, I'm really into business. And so I want somebody who's like, wow, you carry a lot of weight. That's amazing. And maybe I don't want to carry as much weight in the parenting side. And so I value a woman that's like just way into being a parent. So now I'm like, that's the dichotomy that I want. It's not insecurity. It isn't that, oh, I'm afraid that they'll make more money than me. There are plenty of women. I make a lot of money. And there are plenty of women that make a lot more money than me. So that doesn't bother me. But when you get into a dynamic, then it's like, I need to be strong in something. So what area of the relationship am I going to carry the weight? And yes, then we get into this dance of like, what is the thing that I want to be better at? What is the thing that you want to be better at? And this was a really powerful realization for me early in our relationship that it didn't make sense for you to want to be in a relationship where you were worse than me than every, at everything. And I thought you would. I thought you would only find me sexually attractive if I was better than you at everything. And so then I was like, okay, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. That's dumb. There are going to be things where we need to both acknowledge this thing is valuable in our marriage and you're better. And so people need to be very careful. Some guys will react negatively to this out of insecurity. And it's just plain, ugly insecurity. Other guys are going to react negatively because that's the value they want to bring to the relationship. And so it becomes sexual dimorphism where it's like, not only in this relationship, do I like being bigger and stronger? That, that's a thing for me, whether it should be or not. Okay. I want everyone to let go of whether it should be or not. I find like that makes me feel good. feel good is an angle that people need to look at instead of just writing everything off as insecurity. And I actually, and thank you for breaking that down. I completely agree, but I think that there's a little part that for me, there's a bit of a disconnect. So the art, the, the language, the accent, the humor, I get all of that. That is a hundred percent a preference. But when I think about business, when I think about money, my mind does straight go to it. It feels like, and it seems like it's a power play. People or a partner may not be comfortable in me as a female or on this side of it having as much independence, as much power to not necessarily rely on them. Because that's, and I understand, like for my dad, who's- can I, can I give you, that's only stressful. What's only stressful? I'm thinking through an idea. Right. I am, this is not something I've thought a lot about. Sure. I need to be very careful with that. When you say that, I'm like, no, that like, because when you went through the transition from housewife to entrepreneur, mm -hmm. it had zero percent to do with me being like, 
oh, wow, I'm insecure about her becoming powerful. Oh, wow, I don't have control in the relationship. I don't think you would like every normal guy, though. Yes, and that's... but the fact that I went through it tells you there's another element here and nobody is talking about it. Everybody mm. thinks it's insecurity. Mm. And if you know, mm. you know me, and I'm telling you, I struggled with that transition and it had nothing to do with insecurity. And by the way, we now exist in a world mm. where you are a formidable entrepreneur and I can tell you what I had to do to like figure that dynamic out. And it is very different than getting like secure in myself. It wasn't that. It wasn't me having to go, no, I'm still better than her. No, I still have power in these ways. It was entirely me going, hey, there's a different dynamic here from a sexual perspective and I have to find my footing with that. And maybe we're saying the same thing, but this is actually really interesting. But I don't I, think we are. Because I don't think of you as being insecure. So that's, but that's why I think though, for you, it was actually something that you could work through. And I don't know if, because there's two different elements here. There's one, if you start dating and if you're already a successful independent person, that's actually a very different situation than this question than when me and you came from where I came in as a supportive wife and then I transitioned. So, but I think that if I was just meeting someone new, so in fact, let me back up. I don't think of you as having an insecurity in this area. So while it was something that you had to work through, I think that you could work through it because it wasn't necessarily a ding on you. It wasn't a, this will, means that you're not- I will not give you that. It's not solving the problem the way you think it's solving the problem for the person who's asked this question. So I think though that, okay, so let's just even just say date number one. I would be like, this is me. You could, you, even if there was everything amazing about them and they were just, ins no, I don't want to say insecure, whatever word you want no, to no, use. No, no, no. Can, can we spend, I think this video will go down in history as a contribution to the relationship between the sexes if we can get a couple things right. Yes. The first is, do we agree or disagree that some percentage of the shrinking of the dating pool for her is due to uh, insecurity and some- Her insecurity? No, 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 his. Yes. So some of the reason that she is saying like, hey, I, th I think some of these guys are finding it intimidating is because some of the guys really do find it intimidating. Correct. And they are finding it intimidating out of insecurity. Correct. Now, do we agree that some percentage of them are not insecure and they're just not into it? Yes. Okay. That's actually so simply put, which is beautiful. Yes. Amazing. So now what we have to do is figure out, and maybe the percentage isn't super important, but I worry that people, I worry that women specifically are going to continue to struggle with this because they're going to write it off as, oh, it's 95% insecurity and there's only 5% people like Tom. And I'm telling you, it isn't mm. true. And I think it is wise to move through the world just for rough numbers to assume it's 50-50. Now, once you assume it's 50-50 and some guys are insecure, then if you really wanna play an advanced math game, you will ask, why does it make them insecure? Part of it is gonna be some people are clinging on to the bottom rung, but honestly, at that point, you just find the people with the most differential, right? So it's, okay, I'm only, just to take business, I'm this good at business, right? I'm in the bottom 10th percentile. Well then find somebody that's in the bottom one percentile. The only thing that matters is the relative difference. You don't need to be in the top, 
you know, 90th percentile and find somebody in the bottom one. You just want a 10x difference, let's say. Mm -hmm. So that like that shifts up and down the spectrum no matter what you do. I don't want this to get too esoteric. There are these two things competing. If you're insecure, you simply need to find somebody who's lower than you. If it's the other part, now you get into a way different dynamic of doing the calculus. So I will say that for this video, we can, I guess, address both. We can talk about like what, what to do if the guy is insecure. Don't date them. Easy. I'm perfectly happy I with that. I literally like it, it won't be easy, but yeah, to me it's, if, if it's day one, I don't want to have to deal with a new person's insecurities. I've Word. got my own freaking insecurities Filtering to deal with. Filtering mechanism. So, yeah. By all means, keep going. I was just giving a word oh, to oh, what you're saying. Thank you. Um, just so, yeah. So I would just be like, okay, date one, does this, do they get intimidated by my wealth and my success? Yes or no. If they, if they do, cool. Sorry. You've got to, with utter compassion, you clearly have insecurities that you need to work through or find someone that isn't actually as successful or wealthy as me. And that's totally fine. But for me, I would draw a line in the sand somewhat of being like, I'm not interested in dealing with anyone that has insecurities in this area. Because again, that's just, that's a lot of work to embrace someone that you already know from a first date. Word, I think having a filtering mechanism is incredibly powerful. Um, and that, now we get into deal with the world the way that it oh, is. Oh, I'm getting all cozy, no, I mean, crossing my legs. This is so yeah. interesting to me. Um, and I think it is a far wiser way to move through life, not to be judgmental or to moralize mm. against other people, but just be like, okay, this is a thing. And so how do I, knowing that I'm going to use it as a filtering mechanism, how do I avoid a bunch of wasted first dates? Like if, if I were going to do online dating, like how are the ways that I would signal so that people don't even reach out to me if that's their thing, right? Um, so having to navigate that, figure that out. All right. So insecurity is... And just to be clear, sorry, I just no, want please. to add that I absolutely agree. It's like have, have compassion for the people that have the insecurity. It's not like, well, F you. Um, but it's just, it wouldn't be something that I would get into a relationship. Yeah, and we don't, I mean, without being harsh, we don't owe somebody making ourselves available to them when they have something they have to work through. Mm -hmm. The insecurity is a them thing. It's not a you thing. So God forbid I die, but you will put yourself, you will instantly be in a narrow range because of your success. Well, we've even spoken about this. Not to kind of, I mean, it's not really derailing. It really is this because that's been part of like, I've, I've sadly had, you know, think, thought about it just because I'm always thinking about the worst case scenarios. Um, and I've thought about it and I'm like, well, initially I was like, I just won't tell people. Like literally, I will lie about what but I why? do and it's how much money. It's a filtering mechanism. And the funny thing is, but that was when I first started and now I'm just like, but why would I? Um, You're just going to waste your time. Yeah. But the thing is, is because I don't define who I am as a human by how much money I have and how much success. So Rightly I think that's so. Why. And I don't want other people to judge me. And I think that's why but they're I they're going went... to. But I think, yeah, you're right. Guys are judged by their height and access to resources. It's the fucking way that mm. it is. Women are judged for beauty and youth. It's the way that it is. Now, once you individualize, you can have an amazing connection, right? You could have an amazing connection with a woman who is older, who doesn't have youthful beauty, of course. But when you start looking at the data, it's just real fucking clear. So that's one of those, 
mean, just is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. um, John Stewart recently relaunched a show, and I totally empathized with him. So when he left, he had you know dark hair. I don't know how long ago he left, like ten years or something. He has dark hair. He looks much younger, and now he's doing a new show, and he's older, and he's got gray hair. And so his ad was, "What am I doing in a visual medium? I look so much older." And I just thought, yeah, that's a real thing. Like, I fully understand doing something where I'm on camera and that's a part of my business proposition. It's like age is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I'm not going to go around with a campaign. Nobody should judge me because I'm older. I just know you better fucking over deliver on the value so that people will look past the fact that you're older. It's just cultural vitality is always with the young. So anyway, I'm just saying there are things in life you can waste a lot of fucking time fighting against or you can say, okay, that's a thing and now I'm going to address my strategy based on that thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm to bring it all back around to this dichotomy. There are two things that a successful woman is facing. Again, it just is what it is. Oh God, we could really open a can of worms. I'll finish this thought and then hopefully I can bring it back around. So you've got the way that things are Part number one, some people are just insecure. Part number two is some people just aren't into it. Those are the two things. And then the other part is once you then say to the world, Tom's crazy, you need to rail against things in society that are wrong. You need to shape society. In fact, isn't Tom trying to sway culture? So, and you could take that whole approach. The question is what kind of traits do you develop in a man who isn't trying to toughen up, be a protector, lead in the acquisition of resources. I don't know. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. But it's it's so so I literally just watched this episode of Sex in the City like two days ago where she's dating Guy Burger. Burger. Yeah. She gets her like her book deal and she gets like an advance from France. And so she's like, Oh my god, twenty five thousand dollars, I'm so freaking excited. And he happened to that same day get um let go from his publisher. And you literally see the relationship derail, you see his insecurities come up and so really thinking about that and really thinking about where me and you were, where I made the transition, one of the very first things that you said to me is, babe, I just want to see you shine. I just, like, I don't care what that, how that reflects of where I am. I just want to see you do well. I just want to see you shine. And that type of idea and, um, I was going to say security, but that type of person, that type of personality. Why are you worried about saying security? Because I get what you're saying about the fact that it's not always just insecurity. Right, which is great. So, so. But even though, so I mean, then the mix, right, is that you were attracted to the fact that I would, I take care of you and I make sure that everything is okay and having to change that. Oh God, can I really put a fine point on that? I think it matters. What? The, the thing you're calling that I'm attracted to that you do these things to me. It isn't that. I was attracted to the differential. I was attracted to the oh. fact that I was carrying weight in the relationship. That there was this thing that mattered. Like there's a hundred things in a relationship that matter. Like for instance, you are way better at knowing when the relationship, we're not paying enough attention to it. And so you bring us back. That really matters to me. Like it when I think about, I have the chills right now. When I think about my marriage is my highest priority and you're the one that's good at making sure it's healthy. 
and that I know I would let that bar mm. like get too low. It's like the person that, yeah, I'm sick, but like I'm not in the hospital yet. And then it's fucking dangerous and it's too late. And now there's a real problem. So given that it's my highest priority and the fact that you're very good at reading that and you're very good at making sure that we stay on track, I value that tremendously. Now, the part of my personality that makes me good at business is the very thing that pulls me away from making sure that the relationship is where it needs to be. In this marriage, you have allowed me to outsource that to you. So now I can do the business. And there are things, I think if you're being honest, that you outsource to me on the business mm -hmm. so that you can focus on other things, whether it's our relationship, the family, whatever. And we both go, ooh, I like that. I like that I do this thing and I like that I'm better at this. I like that I'm better at this. And I want people to understand, we all want to be better at something. There are th I, I like that you're better at legal contracts than I am. I like that. I hate I that I'm better that. at legal contracts. It makes I my life contracts. easier. No, for sure. And actually, I'm joking. Anything where I'm like, ooh, I carry this weight, even though I hate, hate legal contracts, I like that I'm better. I like that you can look at me and be like, I don't even have to think about it. And so I love that I've created the space for you to not have to deal with it. And that's exactly what I think about when I'm spending time on something I hate is, hey, I'm carrying this weight for her, for the family. It's the differential. It's being good at something that you're not good at. It's you being good at something I'm not good at. That's what people like. I love that. But also, as you were talking, there was one other thing. And I know, like, because this is actually really important. So if, you, if you're cool, we'll like, just keep on going down. So I had a group of friends, all female. I'm not going to reveal anyone's sure. name, but it was such a fascinating conversation because we were talking about dating and guys and things like that. And a lot of my friends are very successful and they were very open about some of the problems. And what's fascinating is, is that some now are having an issue where guys are actually quote unquote trained to allow the female to be as an equal or even like ahead. And now they actually, they won't pay the bill. For like they go out for dinner and they're like, oh, so it's um, Dutch. What, what traits of, do you get? And some when of this my female friends want the guy to pay. And it's not that they can't afford it, they're freaking successful as hell. And I but, want to point out that some of these people are young. So this isn't just an age thing. Correct. So their age as is actually something very interesting in what we're talking about. And even with this question of as an individual, if you're looking to date someone, you need to be careful of not even be careful, actually. Admit to yourself what you're looking for in a partner and Preach, be honest man. with that. Preach. Because what one of my friends did, which was so beautiful, is she she has her own bank account. She has her own success. She's been dating this guy. So she's like, it's not that I need him to pay for it, but this is actually something that is meaningful to me. I want a relationship where a guy can pay for dinner, but I don't want him to buy me clothes. I don't want him to take me shopping. I can buy my own shit. So she so goes on this date and the guy doesn't turn around to pay. To pay. And so she just turns around and is like, look, just so you know, I'm the type of woman that blah, blah, blah. And he's like, thank you for telling me. He's like, because I've been on so many dates with women where they get offended if I try to pay. Yeah. And I found that so eye-opening and such a beautiful, honest thing of saying, actually, while us women find ourselves in a situation where it's difficult because we want to be our own person, we want to be independent, we want to be our own wealth creators, and yet we still want this. And we can say that out loud. And I want to make sure that guys or the other side of things can also say out loud, I'm freaking finding this difficult because I date this one person that wants me to be the breadwinner. I'm dating this other person that's like, that's just got offended because I've offered to pay. So now 
they are in a tough situation where they don't know what to actually do. And that's actually very important as well to address and acknowledge. Yeah, this is a very big topic and I have not started looking at it because I am very grateful to be in a position where it doesn't matter uh, in my life. But there are very interesting things happening now for guys where it the world is just more confusing and now they have to find a whole new way to relate and figure things out, which is fine. Like change is, cultures always change. It truly is the only constant. So I don't need things to stay the same or be the old way, whatever. I'm just saying, as you said at the beginning of the episode, recognizing that in that period of change, it's like things get weird, confusing, bizarre, whatever, and people don't know how to navigate it well. And in our relationship, we've always said, set the other person up for success. And you know, I think that people should very much avoid, for their own reasons, avoid moralizing or saying this is how people should be mm-hmm. and help people um, move to where is mutually better. And then I'll add, to not feel shame or guilt for wanting something. So if you actually want someone that is, as a female, if you want someone that is going to be the breadwinner, you want someone like... I don't, or you want to be the breadwinner. I literally, so that Do was your gonna, thing. But that was going to be my second part of like, but that's also just own. I actually want this. This is important to me. This is what I'm looking for. And don't let other people judge you or put guilt or shame onto you. You know, it's like, I'm sure so many people would freaking have a heart attack. So we have joint bank accounts. Like, no, I don't have anything separate from you. Everything's joint. That works for us. I'm not saying everyone should do it. I can actually understand why people don't do it, but that works for us. And And we didn't do that in the beginning. We didn't do that at the beginning. So a lot of this sort of thing becomes a what is best for you, what works for you, and then not feeling shame or embarrassment or guilt in just saying, this is what I'm looking for in a partner. And then the one thing that I, it hit me so hard, and this was one of those beautiful moments, my girl Oprah, just her and Stedman, when I was a stay-at-home wife and I would watch her and Stedman would be there and you could see that she, um, she admired him, she respected him. But let's face it, I'm sure Oprah's earning a shit ton more money than him, but it didn't seem to ever... At least from the outside, you never know what's going on behind closed doors, for sure. But it never seemed like her success was a problem. And I think a big part probably is because of both of them and their characters and their securities or their communication in who they are and what they're looking for. Can I make you a guarantee? Yeah. He's better at something than she is. Yeah. And she's better at something than he is. And Mm -hmm. the two of them feel good about the things that they're each better at. And that's so important. Feeling good about the other person actually being better. Then you add some things. Yeah. That's the balance. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it just is the way that things are. And once people go, okay, word. Like, so it's very interesting to me and I'll put a nice um, controversial capstone to a controversial conversation. I never really thought about the differences between men and women growing up. It just seems self-evident that, you know, we were different and that was that. And it's only been now as people are like, no, what do you mean? There's no difference. That I'm like, the world is a, a bizarre place when you think, no, we're exactly the same. All of a sudden, your behaviors don't make any sense to me. If you and I are the same and you're looking at the world the same way I do, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, this is crazy town. But once I realized, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, she is just 
evolution has shaped her to see things from a different angle and that angle is valuable. So now I'm like, word, she's gonna see this different than me. She like comes at this from a totally different angle and I need that angle. And I, I think I've talked about this before, but maybe not. Before you stepped into the, the entrepreneur role, I burst into tears one day and I burst into tears because I don't even remember what it was, but something amazing had happened. And I was getting a ton of credit in the world for like all the things that I had done. Let's, I don't think it was this, but let's just say the first time I ended up on the cover of a magazine, right? And it's like, oh my God, like this is crazy. And I burst into tears because I said, the world is never going to understand. I wouldn't be who I am if you hadn't shaped me. And I will let the person remain nameless, but I had someone on the show, very smart, very accomplished woman. And I was saying, you know, it's so crazy to me that when I think about the dynamic between men and women, it's like my wife used to work through me. <laughs> Until she became her own entrepreneur, she worked through me and she made me better and she pushed me and she held me accountable. And it was, I really valued that dynamic. And this woman, we were off camera and she threw out, again, this is a very successful woman. And she threw off, oh yeah, most women would prefer to let the man lead and work through them, but you can't say that out loud anymore. And I was like, whoa, because honestly, while not universally true in any way, shape or form, there's a lot of that. Yeah, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, please. I just, that, and that's, that's why I really want to pinpoint hands. Like the world is changing, but at the same time, like I love the way the world's changing in the sense that women can go and be their own entrepreneurs. They can they build freaking Whatever billion dollar want. companies. They can, exactly. They can live the life now that maybe was way freaking harder back in the day. So I love that. But in that journey, there seems to also have been a, um, change in discussion about the woman who wants to stay home and you know me babe this is what i've written about in my book as well that we just have to fucking stop judging each would that other. be radical confidence it would be radical confidence coming soon coming to a store soon. near you <laughs> yeah but it, like it was that thing where i'm like i never i will stop what i'm doing if uh, me speaking up about having freedom, about breaking the um, the velvet handcuffs that I call about my belief system that I was going to be a wife and, you know, a mother. Like, we have to stop. In fact, I will stop what I'm doing right today if me speaking up about that now makes stay-at-home wives or stay-at-home mothers feel badly about themselves. Because if you want to have a partner that is out and working and bringing home the, the money, and if you want to stay at home with your children, like... I don't, there cannot be, a, I don't want to live in a world where they start to feel badly now because now women are feeling free to go into business. And the same when it comes to what we're talking about in relationships. I, I don't want the fact that women can be wealth creators and not have to rely on a guy to then mean that if you want to rely on somebody else to bring home, that now you are... Um, unworthy or now you're holding society back that's the thing like no like they, they what do you want to be good at what do you want to be better at in the relationship mm. once people get real comfortable with what makes a partnership work is that in fact there there is a business phrase that goes like this if you and your partner think the same one of you is irrelevant so it's like 
if you and your partner are both doing the same things, you're good at the same things, like, well, what are you doing? A partnership should be that you're good at some things, I'm good at others. Of course, there's going to be some overlap, but that there are things that you're drawn to that you want to do uh, that I don't want to do or that I'm not naturally inclined towards, whatever. And you come together and that's where the sum of those two people become greater than either of the two people alone because you can help each other. Mm. And that cooperation between people is what leads to, I think, really, really extraordinary outcomes. But like you said, there's now the, the pendulum has is swinging, I think, too far in the opposite direction where my favorite story on this is when you were at the buffet and you told a woman who asked you what you do, you told her and she was like, oh, I'm just a mother. And you were like, whoa, hold on, like stop the presses. By the way, I've taken up thanking parents for their service. And I mean that totally, I don't, not tongue in cheek at all. It's like, we've decided not to have kids, but thank God that there are other amazing people that are having kids. Otherwise we're all screwed. It's, you know, whatever the um, last man or with the Clive Owen movie, I'm forgetting now, but about where no, no new babies are being born and the world's in total chaos as it would be. Uh, so yeah, that like making sure that people understand what life do you want to live? Don't judge yourself and live that life.